Welcome to Franchise Marketing Radio, brought to you by SEO Samba, comprehensive high-performing marketing solutions for mature and emerging franchise brands. To supercharge your franchise marketing, go to seosamba.com. That's S-E-O-S-A-M-B-A dot com. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Franchise Marketing Radio. Lee Cantor, Stone Payton here with you this afternoon. Lee, this is going to be a marvelous show. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast with Shuck and Shack, co-founder Matt Pickenen, and CEO Jonathan Wethington. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon, Lee. Good afternoon, Stone. Tell us about Shuck and Shack. How are you serving folks? It's uh, So Shuck and Shack started in 2007 in uh, Carolina Beach, North Carolina, small little 950 square foot restaurant. Um, and we kind of grew that for, for the first three years. And it's really your, your down home kind of East Coast oyster bar. Nothing really fancy about it. You know, we don't, you know, no white tablecloths, but, you know, seafood comes in buckets on metal plates. And it's really, it's it's down home, like like back in the day when you go on vacation and, and find the little seafood dive. And we've grown it now to 16 locations. And, you know, we've tweaked it over the years. We, we don't have a, a small location as, as we did. We, we've gone up to basically about 2,500 to 3,000 square feet to accommodate the, the franchise system. But we, we stay true to our roots as, uh, as much as possible, uh, other than growing in certain different regions and, and trying to fit in the best way we possibly can. And what's the menu look like? Menu is, uh, it's, it's a little bit of everything. Uh, one, you know, we have all, all, the, all your fresh seafood, crab legs, clams, mussels, shrimp. And then down to, uh, we've got, you know, the, the oysters you can get raw, steamed, fried. Uh, we got clam chowder, soups, uh, homemade soups, and then we've got a, 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 an array of sandwiches that include po'boys, um, fish sandwiches. We have one burger, so we do have, and then we've got three or four other other sandwiches for the non-seafood eater. That was one thing when we started to franchise that we we decided that we had to kind of uh, grow. Uh, we were we were missing out on certain section uh, certain section of people that just didn't want to eat seafood. So we took kind of took away the veto vote by adding a few things. We, we have a homemade shrimp and grits. So we have a little bit of everything, but mainly um, 90, 90% seafood focused. Now, what, what has the transition been like from running a restaurant and then, you know, caring about local customers and things like that to now running a, a to being a franchisor where you're more of a training uh, and sales organization rather than, uh, you know, coming up with, uh, you know, ha- creating happy customers. I think the mission remains the same. Uh, you know, as long as we keep the customers and our guests entering the door at the forefront of what we're doing, uh, I firmly believe that everything else comes from that. So every decision that we make uh, on our end, certainly in the in the support center and our company stores, we keep we keep those dis- that decision making in mind first and foremost. How is this going to affect the end user? For us as a franchisor, obviously our end user, a lot of the time is our franchisees. And then for our franchisees, their end user is the customers and the guests walking in. So, you know, it's certainly not as easy um, to move the pack uh, once you have, you know, 16, you know, going on 20 restaurants open 
as opposed to one or two locations. However, I, I do think that the mindset should not change. Um, you've got to make more conscious decisions, obviously. Think about the long term of things. It's no longer a week turnaround on things. Sometimes it's a little longer. Um, but, you know, keeping keeping the customer, keeping the guest at the forefront of everything we're doing still remains our mantra today. Now, do you have a profile of what a franchisee, a good franchisee looks like? Sure. A, a good franchisee is someone who's really ingrained within the community. I think first and foremost, if you look at not only successful franchisees within our own system, but I think many other food operators would tell you the same, is that people who are ingrained within the community, and it's kind of an overused phrase, but the mayor of their town, um, in that they know folks, uh, they know where to find folks, they have generally a pretty wide friends base or generally a pretty wide business impact base. Uh, pretty outgoing, know how to talk to people, love serving the community first and foremost. You know, we just happen to serve the community through what's on the plate and what's in the glass. Uh, but first and foremost, we want folks who are, you know, ingrained within the community. And of course, there's, you know, financial requirements. Uh, we do have some sort of, you know, work history or experience requirements that we like to see. Uh, but we we want people first and foremost who are ingrained within the community and and love helping others and serving others. So rest, previous restaurant experience isn't as necessary. That's not as much of a must-have. I wouldn't say it's a 100% must-have. I think that would be that wouldn't be an accurate characterization. Obviously, previous restaurant experience always helps. Uh, the restaurant business, quite frankly, is is fairly brutal. It's lots of long hours, uh, lots of standing on your feet, um, you know, standing over a, um, a hot flat top or, or uh, you know, dealing with employee issues or having turnover within the store. Um, it's It can be at times a thankless position and it's, uh, it's the same thing every day. You go out every day and perform and we're open basically 363 days a year. And so thinking about performing every day, 363 days, uh, for most of the time, 10 to 12 hours a day, uh, it takes a certain person who desires to not only work hard, uh, but also to put him or herself second behind whoever's coming in the door. Now, as franchisee, are you looking at people, are they buying multiple locations or are you selling them one at a time at this point? It's, it's a mix of both. Um, we like owner operators a lot. Uh, you know, our bread and butter in the beginning and, and has somewhat remained the same is our owner operators who can really become ingrained within their community. Uh, so if you look across our, our footprint, a majority of our folks are owner operators, single locations. That being said, we do like multi-unit operators, even multi-unit operators with other concepts who know how to have a structure and a system in place because we don't have the expectation that a multi-unit operator uh, can spend every waking hour every day in every one of their stores, just physically impossible. But we do have the expectation that they could have uh, a system and a structure in place, at least a management system, so that they have a face of the business, whether that be a, a, G, a general manager or a front of the house manager or someone who's going to be there most of the time uh, in lieu of them being there. Now, is this uh, restaurant complementary to some of the other ones or like if could they have a pizza brand and, and the Shuck and Shack, or, or is that kind of not that, that important? It's just the experience yeah, I, of I think that, run uh, a franchise. Sure, I mean the experience of being in a franchising system is 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 pretty important. 
Um, not not a deal breaker by any means. I would say that what you'll what you'll see about us if you go to our website, theshuckandshack.com, is that our menu mix is a lot different than what you might what you might find in your standard run of the mill restaurant. So we we like to think of ourselves as a niche offering, and that we can fit in almost anyone's portfolio. And and we have done that, and we'll continue to do that in the future. Now, um, how have the locations come about? Is it uh, is it how you anticipated, or you targeted certain areas, and then you're kind of building out from those areas? It's it's you know I would say it's just how we wanted to do it, but that probably wouldn't be the whole truth. Uh, we back in 2014 when we kicked off franchising, we kind of made a top 10 list of places that we wanted to be or be nearby. Uh, a big part of our model is secondary markets, and so um, you know we like Atlanta, but we also like the outer lying areas of Atlanta um, as well. And so when we made that top 10 list, we started listing commuter cities and areas where people sleep to eliminate that kind of that pilgrimage to the larger city uh, for them to find great seafood and a high quality product. And, Mm -hmm. you know, partnering on with that, of course, we've used all the typical uh, SEO and pay-per-click and lead gen tools that you might think of in primary and secondary markets. But we have been pretty focused on the markets that we choose uh, we're not going everywhere right now. Let's not say we won't do that in the future, but we've been pretty intent on first and foremost, um, finding the right people. Uh, you know, it's one thing uh, to say that you want to be in a certain market, but until you find that person, it it doesn't really mean a whole lot. Um, and then, you know, couple that with the way the commercial real estate market is right now, you've kind of got to be pretty agile. So you, you may target uh, a certain area of a certain city, uh, area A, let's call it, but find out there's just no availability in area A. And so you really have to uh, be agile enough to focus on area B or area C as well. So now um, here we're based here in Atlanta and one of your locations is in Cumming, Georgia, which is a north uh, suburb, like you said. Uh, and it is, uh, I guess, I, it, is that how you would characterize it as a secondary city where Atlanta is the main city and this is a northern suburb that's very close to the metro Atlanta area. Exactly. Uh, Coming would be a perfect example of that. We we love Atlanta. We love the Atlanta metro market. Uh, we also know that we love markets where people sleep, where there's a lot of residential, high residential population, because what we found, you know, we're, we're not a store that's going to be 6,000 square feet. And so there's not going to be a you know a geographically located place where people will always look and be able to see a massive sign or a massive building because we're in a smaller footprint it naturally creates a little bit more cozy uh, atmosphere it naturally creates an atmosphere that tends to be more neighborly and sometimes uh, more neighborly atmospheres fit a little bit better in commuter markets where, where people spend a majority of their time outside of nine to five now, if you were targeting a coming, how would you kind of what would you do to attract that franchisee in the coming area? Now, I think our our name and our offering kind of speaks for itself the majority of the time. It's uh, many of our franchisees are have have been customers before, so they've spent time in our restaurant, uh, whether it be on vacation or they happen to be in a city that we have locations, and naturally come across us that way. And then, of course, we do you know, your SEO and pay-per-click and Facebook and all of those things just to have brand awareness and get people familiar with us. 
Um, but we, you know, a big part of what we're doing is bringing the coast to the community, to whatever community that we're going into. And that doesn't mean it has to be, you know, top 25 city USA. And, and we make that a part of our marketing. So our, our franchisee in, in Atlanta or incoming rather, um, that was a part of the marketing and that's very intentional. And, and we kind of stick by that. We want people, like I said before, who are mayors of their community, very much integrated into the day to day of what's going on within their town or city. And a majority of the time that that may not be in a very, very large city. It might be in a commuter market or smaller market. And that's very attractive to us. Now, what's been the most rewarding part of this adventure for you guys, uh, turning it from a restaurant that you guys were running to now? Uh, you're touching communities in, what, five different states now? For me, it's just to see the, the brand grow to what it what it has. You know, when we started this thing, me and my partner, um, you know, we we were young. We were in our late 20s and we just lived in a beach town and we wanted to open up a bar and we decided to, to do it with oysters and, and have that as the focus and to see the 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 reception that it's got from people and when people come in and you know before we even started franchising we're asking if if we were franchising and obviously we weren't ready to go at that point but just be just having people see the potential in what we've done and and being able to see that in their own town. Like you don't have to be in a little beach town to enjoy the food that we've, uh, basically the menu that we've created. It's it, to me the, that that's the most rewarding part is just seeing the potential ha or by having people see the potential in the restaurant. Yeah. And to partner on the second part of what Matt said, for me, it's hearing the stories from guests and customers that come in. It's hearing the stories of, Oh, do you remember the last time I ate oysters? we were in Apalachicola and I had the best oysters of my life. Or do you remember, you know, the time that we went to the beach with our family and we cooked a low country boil? It's the stories. That's my favorite part of it. And hearing people saying that they haven't had it since they've been to the beach on vacation. Um, those are the most rewarding moments for me. Now, do you have any advice for maybe somebody who's running a restaurant or it doesn't have to be a restaurant, but any type of a concept that they're thinking about franchising, um, maybe some do's and don'ts, uh, when it came to actually saying, okay, now we're going to do this. Do you have any advice for somebody considering uh, being a franchisor? I'll answer it the, the quick way and I'll let Jonathan probably go into the more in-depth way. Uh, just make sure you're ready before you start franchising. Uh, we, you know, we, we got kind of pressed into starting to sell before we had all of our systems in place. And our first year, we kind of we 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 played catch up the entire first year. We started franchising. We sold some units right out of the gate, and then we had to get. Once we went to our first opening, we realized that we were not ready to go, and so we opened one more unit that year, and and then took the sold some units the next year, but didn't open any. So that would have been 2015, and it just just make sure you're ready and you your all your ducks are in a row because if they're not, it it's you play catch up the entire time. What were yeah, the systems that, that I mean, what were what were the systems that were the must have that you uh didn't feel that you were as prepared for that you, you wish you were? I, I think partnering on with what Matt said in the system being the must have, it's the things that you don't know that are coming down the pipe. Um, you know, you you would think that a lot of uh things about the restaurant business, especially the operational portions, are commonsensical. 
but but that's not the case. It's regionalized. The way we do something in North Carolina may be very different than the way it's done in even South Carolina or Georgia or certainly Maryland. And so making sure that you have systems in place to self-audit um, and, hey, are we making sure that we've got the liquor license process going early enough? Are we making sure that the fire inspection and the health inspection and all of the things that are going to happen during the build-out process, even prior to opening the doors, that we've been cognizant of those things and that we've thought about those things and that we have an onboarding uh, timeline. Um, I think that's one thing that especially that we take for granted, especially if you're a multi-unit operator already in your own concept. A majority of the time, it's all in your head. So you know what comes next. There's a natural progression to what comes next. However, when you're uh, teaching folks who may have been a general manager or a business owner at one point uh, to come into your own system to open a restaurant, it's not always intuitive. And so making sure that you have those things in place um, on paper that are easily accessible are, are very, very important. Now, um, do you keep track as an organization like um, milestones and uh, and different types of successes that are happening in the system that you're high fiving during the day like do you have a you know a check-in on mondays or fridays where you're going okay how did we how did everybody do and then you're kind of celebrating those kind of wins yes we absolutely do and in fact five minutes before the call it's funny that you asked that question five minutes before the call we got noticed that actually the coming georgia location um, is just got a reward, an award, I guess, for James, the James Beard Smart Catch Foundation, uh, which is essentially sustainable and accessible seafood. Um, you can look it up online. Uh, but we, we talk about those things all the time. And we're very, very proud of the track record of our, of our locations opening, not just our company stores. I mean, our company stores do win awards. We're most excited when our franchise locations uh, win best new restaurant, win best seafood restaurant, in whatever market that they're in. And of course, yes, we absolutely congratulate individually. We celebrate that as a team on our monthly partners call. Um, and of course, we have a, an online portal and access system for all of our franchisees where we post those things as well. Now, how do you um, share the learning? How does that come about? You mentioned calls and then I guess your portals, but is there a, a way that everybody can kind of help each other? Uh, yes. So we have a, an online learning system. It's called the Hinge, and it's it's done through a, a learning management system company. And the Hinge is, is accessed online through all of our franchisees. And so we can actually push out content, uh, whether it be, you know, a calendar update, an upcoming event, uh, an LTO, uh, a directive for something new that we're going to be launching, a bit of training information, maybe a change in a recipe or a change in a build or an updated product code, we can push that out with our with our phones. So it's actually an app that they can download and it goes directly to our franchise owners. And then if necessary, if it's something where there's a training module attached to it, it can go directly to our frontline employees as well. But it's it's overseen by our owners, so they're training their own employees on that. Now, um, what do you need more of right now? Uh, I mean, right now we just, you know, we get to the point where we've, we've spent so much time on developing systems and developing operations. I, I think right now what we're looking at is, is we want more great people in our system. That's what we're after. Uh, we know that we can grow. We know we have a niche offering. 
and uh, we're being very patient with our growth rate right now. But we're ready to we're ready to grow a, a little bit faster, um, a little bit, a few more units per year, and that starts with the people coming into our organization. That's what we need more. We want more great people in our organization. And when they are, you mentioned like kind of that social mayor is the optimal uh, franchisee. Is there uh, things that you do uh, as the franchisor that helps them kind of through social media and through maybe local marketing to help them kind of penetrate that? Or is that kind of left to them with their own network and their own resources? I would say it's a mix of both. You know, we, we can never replace a person who's the outgoing face of their business in their own community. We would we would be foolish to think that we could do that from an office or from a restaurant in Wilmington uh, and replace that person in our restaurant in coming Georgia. But we do provide tools. Uh, we provide, you know, marketing collateral and, and things that allow our franchisees to get um, involved within their local community. But ultimately, it's up it's up to the individual franchisees. Uh, we encourage them to join their local chamber or business alliance or whatever is happening around them and to post on social media, to get interactive on social media with folks. Um, you know, we, we can't replace that as a franchisor. We certainly give all the tips and tricks and everything we need and, and hard data that we need to give to our franchisees. But ultimately, it, it's up to them to make sure that they become that mayor of their community. Good stuff. Well, congratulations on all your success. If somebody wanted to learn more, uh, is there a website for a potential franchisee to go check out? Absolutely. You can find it actually from our main site. So if you go to theshuckandshack.com, no G on shucking, theshuckandshack.com. And then that's also like if I was finding looking for a local shuck and shack in my area, I could find that there as well, all the different locations. That's correct. It's all across the menu bar at the top of the website. There's a there's a locations selector. It actually does it by zip code and it'll automatically ping you in to the nearest spot, nearby location. And then there's the franchise information tab on that as well. All right. Well, Jonathan and Matt, congratulations and thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thanks, thank Lee. you. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on Franchise Marketing Radio.